Good evening, and welcome to this week's edition of Eye in the Triangle. I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. This week, we have our very own Dave with some thoughts on No Shave November. Jake reviews a B-movie. Nick caught up with some impromptu on-campus musicians. And later, some Boy Scouts will drop by the studio. We'll also have poetry, and Nick and Dave will catch us up with what happened this week in history. However, let's catch, kick off the show with some goings around on campus with Bree. University Theater presents Little Women on Wednesday, November 16th through Sunday, November 20th, and the following week on Wednesday, November 30th through Sunday, December 4th. The play is an adaptation of the novel by Louisa May Elcott. All shows will open at 7.30 p.m. with Sunday matinees at 2 p.m. The showings will be held in Titmus Theater, and ticket information can be found at Ticket Central. On Thursday, November 17th, James Van Cleve will speak on Thomas Reed's non-existent objects of conception. James Van Cleve is a fellow of University of Southern California and is opening his lectures to the public in Withers Room 331 at 4.30 p.m. Also on Thursday, November 17th, the homecoming events will continue with the traditional Paint the Tunnel. Students are asked to meet at the Free Expression Tunnel at 10 p.m. for an hour and a half of Wolfpack Pride to prepare for the Saturday game against Clemson. This weekend, two acapella groups will be showcasing their semester's work in Stewart Theater. Saturday, November 19th, from 7.30 to 9, following the homecoming game, is the Ladies in Red, an all-girls acapella group. And Sunday, November 20th, will be Wolfgang Acapella, a co-ed acapella group. Get ready for an acapella weekend. Ticket information can be found at Ticket Central. This is a community calendar for Eye on the Triangle. If you've been out, if you've been outside at all this week, it sure feels different than it did last week. Katie... Is North Carolina experiencing a rare November heat wave? Well, Chris, we certainly have been seeing unseasonably warm temperatures so far this week, thanks to a nice high-pressure system in place over the southeast. And hopefully you got a chance to get outside today and enjoy the beautiful weather because we have a cool-down and stormy weather headed our way. A strong cold front will sweep across the triangle tomorrow, bringing colder temperatures for the rest of the week. Tonight we will stay warm, though, with a low of around 64 and mostly cloudy skies. We do have a slight chance of showers after midnight, but nothing too significant there. Tomorrow we will be mostly cloudy with a high of 80 and a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and evening as the front passes through the area. Now, some of these storms could be severe with damaging winds and possibly an isolated tornado or two. So be sure to stay tuned for any weather updates tomorrow afternoon and evening. Tomorrow night, we will cool down to 53 degrees, with rain continuing into Thursday morning. The rain will taper off later in the morning Thursday, and we will begin to clear out by afternoon and reach a high of 58 degrees. Thursday evening, we will drop down to freezing temperatures, so definitely dress warm and bundle up if you are planning on heading out Thursday evening. Friday, we will see sunny skies, but only a high of 54 degrees, so you will need to pull out that fall sweater once again. Friday evening will be another chilly night with temperatures dropping down to 33 degrees and mostly clear skies. Now, this weekend will be an overall pleasant weekend with mostly sunny skies, highs in the 60s and lows in the upper 40s to mid 50s. So, Chris, we might be seeing some crazy, insane weather tomorrow, so it's definitely important to keep an eye out for any severe weather updates. Tornadoes, huh? Yeah, possible chance of tornadoes. In November. I know. Very weird for this time of year. That's why it's very important to stay tuned for any updates i'll keep my ears peeled and eyes open thanks katie you're welcome now on any given day somewhere on campus you're bound to find someone playing music our contributor nick got curious who these people were and here's what he found What sounds like music that might accompany some sort of tribal dance can actually be heard right here on campus. 
Catherine and Brittany, two freshmen here at NC State, enjoy sharing their talents with those around them, and frequently do. I'm Brittany Pickler, and I'm a freshman in industrial engineering. I'm Catherine Smith, and I am a freshman in textiles engineering. Um, I've played flute since sixth grade, so eight years. I'm a part of the wonderful Power Sound of the South, the marching band, play piccolo. In sixth grade, I knew I wanted to do band, so my mom called me and asked me what instrument to sign up for. And the flute was one of the first ones she said, and it sounded pretty cool. So I just got involved that way, and I really love it. My first instrument was violin, and I've been playing violin for nine years. And I also play piano and drums. I've been playing djembe for eight years as well. What got you started on djembe? I went to a music camp, and there was a class in African percussion, and the djembe is the staple instrument of African percussion. So it was it's a good multi-purpose instrument for lots of different styles of world music. In sharing their music with the community around them, Brittany and Catherine are very spontaneous. Well, the first time that we did this, I felt inspired to make some music, and it was a really pretty day outside, so I texted Brittany, and I said, hey, Brittany, do you want to come meet me and make some beautiful music? And she said, okay, and so we made some beautiful music together. Yeah. We played in, in Fountain the other day. Whenever we feel inspired. Whenever the inspiration hits us, we play some music. We bring our instruments into our hammocks with us. We do. And play them. We were just sitting around playing and the, uh, the parkour club came up and asked us to come play for them because they wanted some music. We were on a bench and then we moved to a rock for the parkour club. And they were just doing their parkour stuff while listening to you guys? They were. And they clapped for us occasionally. According to Catherine, there's more to her drum than may appear. My drum is hand-carved and it's from Africa. I bought it at a fair trade store and it's beautiful. It has carvings of an African village on it. Mine is made with real goat skin is the head, which is really nice. Yeah, I'm really connected to my instrument. I feel like I can get a better sound out of mine than anyone else's. There's three main regions of the djembe that you can play. Right in the middle is called a bass. It's right in the center of the head, so it makes it stretch down when you hit it, and it makes a really a much deeper sound. Whereas when you're hitting it on the side, you're hitting it in harder regions of it, which make a different tone, and depending on the way that you hold your fingers whenever you play it, so you can make different sounds very easily, just depending on the way that you're holding your fingers at the time. So far, the reception appears great for the minstrel-like pair, and they fully intend to continue doing what they love. The regular tour route for the campus tours comes right by where we usually do this. So we get a lot of people taking pictures with their phones, usually older people think it's funny, or just people asking us, like, where did you get your hammocks? And, like, <laughs> why, why are you doing this? And we're like, we're just loving life. Mostly, yeah. 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 I really like it. It's a good time. 
It's a good time. It's a good way to spend a Sunday. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. If you've noticed an increase in facial hair on some of our male students recently, that would probably be because we are right in the middle of no-shave November. Here's Dave with the lowdown. If you weren't aware that we had entered the month of November, I'd like to personally welcome you to this month that we've quietly slipped into. It's not your average month, exactly. We've got crunch time in classes and football and basketball starting up around here at State, and some major cultural changes across the U.S., such as the emergence of the Occupy Everything Everywhere All the Time movements, but I am here to bring you some information about a growing social and cultural movement that is sweeping continents. It has the potential to change thousands, if not millions, of lives for the better. It is specific to the month of November and keeps the month's name in the title, just in case you forget. And the name of this movement? Well, people around here call it No Shave November, although it sometimes goes by the name of Movember, Novembeard, or Noshember. It's not exactly a new idea, but it has grown like the beard of Rip Van Winkle, and in much less time. This festively furry month-long holiday is simply celebrated by resisting the razor in any way by men for the entire month of November, starting with a clean-shaven face on the first of the month. Legend has it that this tradition draws its roots in the wild land of Australia, started by a group of friends in a pub back in 1999. If this is true, this movement could be the single greatest international cultural contribution to come out of Australia since Hugh Jackman, or perhaps even Steve Irwin. The idea has taken root as a way to raise awareness for the general health of men and about illnesses that affect men in particular, such as prostate cancer. There are several non-profit organizations, such as Noshember.com or Movember.com, that now sponsor beard-growing charity fundraisers. The proceeds go to such organizations as the Prostate Cancer Foundation, Live Strong, and the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Participants must simply ask people to sponsor them to grow their facial hair, or mustaches in particular, from the 1st to the 30th of the month without shaving. Movember's website cites participants from the U.S., the U.K., Ireland, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and raised over $80 million in charitable contributions in last year's drive alone, nearly doubling the profits from the previous year. The use of November as a month for men's health awareness follows nicely after October, which is known as a month to celebrate women's health and raise awareness for breast cancer. Speaking of women, you should know that they certainly have a place and are welcomed among the ranks of the Movember crowd, although they do not usually grow mustaches themselves. Movember welcomes any women who are willing to become proponents of men growing their facial hair, who have been deemed Mo-bros, and sell shirts and other items that show support for the cause. As the month ripens, I would encourage you to keep a weather eye out for anyone wearing a finely combed crumb catcher, and, if you can catch him, say, Hey there, that's quite a snazzy soup strainer you're sporting. Remember that you could be helping to save somebody's life. I'd like to thank Andrew Branch of The Technician for contributing to this story, and now I'd like to leave you off with an almost encouraging quote from William Shakespeare, himself a pioneer of the mustache-slash-soul-patch combo before Sappa's time. He that hath a beard is more than a youth, and he that hath no beard is less than a man. I'm Dave for Eye on the Triangle, WKNC. Yesterday, the WKNC studio had some special visitors, a scout troop, 
Here's Chris with the story. Every once in a while, scouts come visit the studio here at WKNC to shed their bobcat badge and earn their fierce Tiger Scout stripes. Monday night, I got to give the tour. Now, what troop oh, are you yeah. in? Pack two two two. Pack two 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 two. And we are pack two two two. And it's right. It's right here. Two two two. Well, it's hard to gauge what a group of first graders learned. I think they learned something. Um. I learned about how all the equipment works and what it leads to. And What did you learn? Mostly what he said, but I learned about how it works and other stuff like that. Now, what was your favorite thing? I forgot. What was your favorite thing? <laughs> how microphones work. Okay. <laughs> Mine was how the library works and... What happens to old and new discs? I guess probably the most exciting thing for the young Bobcats was being able to watch their sound waves dance around on the computer screen as they recited the Pledge of Allegiance. You ready? One, two, three. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee, and... You This week, we're starting a new segment called Bad Movies You Gotta See, where Jake reviews bad movies and suggests why you should watch them. visited the earth in many forms. Now it returns as the car. This week's bad movie you must see, we go way back. Back to the 1970s. The Car is a 1977 thriller movie directed by Elliot Silverstein and stars James Brolin, who most will recognize as being the father to actor Josh Brolin. It takes place in a sleepy Utah town that suddenly finds its citizens being run over by a mysterious black Cadillac. It is up to Captain Wade Parent, played by Brolin, to figure out what is going on and how to put a stop to whatever is terrorizing the town. The car itself is a big black two-door sedan with no real markings. But one of the first things I noticed was the mustard yellow windshield and the black, almost plastic-looking body. Seriously, it's one of the ugliest cars I've ever seen, even for the 1970s. And this car, driven by a seemingly invisible force, is hell-bent on running over every person it comes across for reasons that are never really established. The movie has all the markings of a cheesy 1970s thriller. The acting is subpar, the writing is corny, and the fashion is horribly outdated. But maybe that's what makes it so much fun to watch. The movie is so bad, it's good. My one complaint, however, is that there was way too much emphasis on the main characters, which seems counterintuitive. The car itself is only seen for about a third of the movie, and it only runs over about four or five people. There's just too much dialogue for me to really follow. Watching the characters putting the pieces together was pretty boring. I found myself skipping past the dialogue to find the action scenes. And even when I went back to watch the scenes I had skipped, I still didn't know what was going on. From what I could gather, some kind of Native American curse had descended on the town in the form of a car. But even by the end of the movie, it's never really established what exactly is driving the demonic vehicle. But not that I really care. Watching a dim-witted sheriff's deputy chase the car up a mountain and then be thrown off in a spectacular explosion only a bad 1970s action movie can deliver is enough for me. 
And that's exactly why we love these kinds of movies. You won't find stellar acting, compelling writing, or even particularly well-executed action scenes. But what you will find is a bad movie that is oh so much fun to watch. Check it out. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. What evil force drives the car? The Missions of Mercy Dental Clinic is a product start, project started by the North Carolina Dental Association, and it travels around the state to deliver free care to those who can't afford the luxury of dental care. Twelve times a year, the mom sets up for the weekend to serve 400 to 600 patients. Our contributor, Mark, was present there over the weekend as they work to keep North Carolina residents' teeth pearly white. Few people think of dental care when thinking of public health issues in North Carolina, but the North Carolina Missions of Mercy Dental Clinic, which travels around the state 12 times a year, addresses the issues on the ground regarding dental care in the state. At every clinic, doctors and volunteers see about 500 to 700 patients, and some of the patients seen have conditions comparable to those of third world countries. The most recent clinic was in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it was one of the biggest in the state, which works 36 hours around the clock. The Greensboro Clinic was open for two days and saw 600 patients each day, and they all braved the cold weather to wait in line. On Saturday morning, I talked to Jeff Sewell, and here's his story about going to the clinic twice. Yeah, I was here yesterday for eight hours. Really? Yeah. For, when did you get here? About six. And so I left about. I could have stayed longer. It was probably about three o'clock when I left. Three thirty. Okay. Were you so, able to get through the line to triage? Well, I was probably uh, probably about a good hundred foot from it, and yeah. then pretty much I already I could figure stuff out. We wasn't going to be seen, so I just left. Okay. So pretty much I got up early this morning and took off. Jeff took off at two o'clock in the morning to wait in line in below freezing temperatures just to get his teeth done. Uh, well, it's an hour drive from my house to get down here. That's where you're from? Uh, Rural Hall, up okay. in uh, Pallet Mountain, near Pallet Mountain. Yeah. On the other side of Winston. Okay. So, um, yeah. And, uh, an hour. Why did you come to the clinic? Get some teeth done. Really? Yeah. What? Do you have any problem? Uh, I got a bad tooth in the bad, rotten tooth in the back. Okay. Uh, it's causing migraine headaches, uh, bad breath. Uh, just want to get it done. Uh, uh, Dennis says it's going to cost about $2,000 to get it done. So they do it free today, that'd be awesome. Jeff's story isn't unique. For many people in North Carolina, especially living in rural areas, dental care is a luxury and it's often difficult to find a dentist. There are some counties in North Carolina that don't even have dentists. I talked to Celestine Harper, a native of Greensboro, who's been waiting a year for the clinic to take care of her problematic oral hygiene. I'm expecting it to be, you know, um, of course I know it's going to be a little hectic in here, but I'm willing to wait it out, but hopefully what I need done and able to get it taken care of, you know, that's what I'm expecting, I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, so, and so uh, dental care, is that usually a tough thing to, um, you know, to put in your budget? Or It is. Um, currently I, I work a job where I only work... Um, 
like 60 hours for two and a half weeks, so it's not in my budget, and um, I do have a small child I take care of also, so it's just not in my budget to get any type of dental care, and my job doesn't offer it, so. So how did you react when you found out about this Um, Well, I heard about it last year, and I was trying to come for the same problem last year, but I didn't make it, but this year, I was really determined because I didn't want to go through any more pain, so... Although the mom clinic is done for 2011, its next clinic in 2012 will be in New Bern on January 22nd. According to Dr. Blaylock, the director of the clinic, mom is always looking for more patients and more people to help volunteer to bring more attention to the dental issues in North Carolina. It might seem trivial to some, but living living with a mouth of bad teeth can be really painful. And for Jimmy Ball, a resident of Graham, North Carolina... Getting a full mouth extraction at the Greensboro Clinic was his way to cope with his pain. Luckily, they do lab work too. For more information about the mom clinics, you can visit ncdental.org. Keep on flossing. From Eye on the Triangle, I'm Mark Herring. The Windhover is NC State's premier literary magazine and is available free on campus. Occasionally here at Eye on the Triangle, we try and meet some of the artists who make the magazine And this week, Dave interviewed poet Tim Revis about some of his poetry that will be featured in this year's publication. Hello, I'm Dave for Eye on the Triangle, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Poetry Corner. I'm here in the studio with student and poet Tim Revis. Tim, if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief introduction to yourself. Uh, Yeah, Um, as you said, my name's Tim Revis. I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. I'm a psychology major here at NC State, finishing up this year as a senior. I haven't been writing poetry for, you know, too long, probably a couple years now kind of thing. Um, Took a poetry class a couple semesters ago and just kind of rolling off of that, still in a poetry class now with Dorian Locks and just kind of kicking it. All right, and we've got two poems to hear if you wouldn't mind just reading both of them and then we'll discuss them together afterward as a package. This first one I wrote this semester, actually. It's basically just a little poem about, you know, back in high school, my brother was a kicker for our high school's football team, and I just, you know, kind of wrote a poem about that. So it's called Watching My Brother. There are as many worlds as there are people, and I'm watching my little brother's world being stuffed inside a football helmet, tight and safe, and now it is being carried off onto the football field by his body. The rain is rubbing its knuckles on the tops of heads, and on sleeves and umbrellas. Our ancestors sit in the stadium lights, a quiet cloud of witnesses. On Friday nights, angels stoop down over football fields to wash their hands in the shouts and shame of people and sing their lessons. And I am doing my part, not for them, but for my brother. He is kicking a field goal, and I get more nervous for him than I ever do for myself. And then I hate Fridays because he misses, and I would rather be the one missing. So I think about how many brothers have missed field goals, and how many brothers there are compared to angels, and how many worlds that is. This next one's a a wee bit obtuse. This one is kind of inspired by another poem written by a guy named Mike Strand. He wrote a poem called Eating Poetry. In this poem, he's kind of eating poetry, literally, and it's kind of having an effect on him, so I thought I'd try one along the same vein, except this one's called Snorting Poetry. In the beginning, my friend said that poetry goes well with a salad or dry rubs on a steak 
or even by itself with a nice dark beer. It just mellows you out, you know, they said. Why is it then that I am sitting in the cotton mouth of my empty apartment, on the dry tongue of my couch, staring stir-crazy into a series of little white rows of diced letters and metaphors? What am I doing? I'm snorting poetry. Line after line, I've cut out the middleman of the stomach, and I'm taking it straight to the head. I need my angry fix of Ginsburg. I need to cut up Dickinson and T.S. Eliot into little rows and drag them through my nasal cavity. I just did a line of Edgar Allan Poe, and black ravens flew into the open windows of my eyes and filled my head, casting shadows on my trembling hands and knees. But that was after I did a line of Dickinson, and because I could not stop for death, I snorted it through a dollar bill and thought about it for a while, and did not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light bulb in the ceiling fan. It keeps flickering, and I can't see the next line of Whitman. And there's no TV here. I had to sell my TV to get a hold of the Whitman and the Poe. I had to sell my roommate's TV to get a hold of the T.S. Eliot and the Ginsburg. You see, I've got this crazy poetry lady that I meet at the corner of Bragg and Saunders. Her name's Dorian. You may have heard of her, or seen her in the long finger of a senseless daydream. But she sold me this new stuff that's supposed to be the next big thing. Lux, the Dickman Brothers, Billy Collins, Lee Young Lee. After that, I don't think there's any hope of detox or rehab. All I see, all I taste, all I feel is poetry. So all that's left to do is snort more poetry, misquote the raven, evermore. Excellent. So the next step would be for you to tell me a little bit about what inspires you to write, what you tend to write about, and maybe a bit about these particular poems. Okay, yeah, great. Um, poetry's a, you know, it's a funny thing. A poem can kind of hit you at any moment kind of thing. It can hit you at any time and place. Whether you're sitting in traffic, you might get a good line. You see someone talking or something, and you have to write it down on a receipt or something. And there's times where you're just... You're flowing and good poems just happen and there's a time where you're really trying to write and uh, it's just not happening kind of thing. In terms of inspiration, you know, you can find it anywhere, you know, a good book line, you know, kind of triggers something, you know, I guess a painting or, you know, something a friend says. It's everywhere. So what poets do you like to read in particular? I noticed you mentioned several in your second poem there. Right now, I'm really, really kind of getting into uh, Lee Young Lee. He's a, he's a contemporary writer that I'm really enjoying. Um, I'm a really big fan of the Dickman brothers, Matthew Dickman and um, Michael Dickman. They actually came to NC State last semester and, and did a reading. I really enjoyed that. They're kind of on the, the quirky side, and that's kind of what I enjoy. Kind of what, you know, I hope to kind of take from and add to my own poetry kind of thing. Billy Collins is another, you know, really big inspiration. Really big fan of his stuff. He can be kind of quirky in his own way sometimes. Thomas Lux also came to NC State last semester. I'm a really big fan of his stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's a few. So what do you plan to do with your poetry in the future? Well, right now I'm just um, continuing to write, and you know, I've sent them off to a couple of journals. I've sent a couple to the Raleigh Review. They're you know, still taking a look at those. We'll see if it, if it makes it or not. But doing, doing open mic readings and 
you know, all that good stuff. It's just a lot of fun. You know, it's a good way to get things off your chest sometimes. Uh, my teacher, Dorian Locks, she said one day in class, I, I love this line, she said, uh, poetry is revenge. You know, it's a very, very cathartic way to kind of say what you need to say sometimes. So. And did you have anything else to add to finish out? Nothing besides, you know, I think that everyone, you know, has the capacity to write poetry kind of thing. I guess I'll kind of leave on that note, you know, just kind of prodding and encouraging everyone to give it a try kind of thing. It, it's a really awesome way to, you know, kind of get out of your heart and off your chest kind of thing. Um, or it's, it's just fun, you know. Do it for yourself and do it because you enjoy it, you know. So that's something I'd encourage everyone to do. Well, thanks very much. Once again, I'm here with Tim Revis. This is Dave, and I thank you for joining me for the Poetry Corner on Eye on the Triangle. History has been happening since the beginning of time, and Nick and Dave are here to tell us what happened this week in history. Hello, and welcome to This Week in History. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. This week in 1777, the Articles of the Confederation was approved by the Continental Congress. This came after 16 months of debate, and the document was the basis for the nation's government until its replacement in the late 1780s by the current Constitution. In 1789, North Carolina ratified the U.S. Constitution and became the 12th state to join the Union. Since then, it has become the most awesome state to live in and is even home to one of the best college radio stations, WKNC 88.1. Since 2008, North Carolina has become the fastest-growing state in the country and holds the headquarters of the SAS Institute, which was voted the best company to work for in both 2010 and 2011. In 1820, an 80-ton sperm whale attacked the whale ship Essex. The sinking of the 240-ton whaling ship served as inspiration for Herman Melville's Moby Dick. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address from the Soldiers National Cemetery in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The speech came just four and a half months after the deadly battle at the site and gave us the iconic phrase, four score and seven years ago. In 1877, Thomas Edison announced his invention of the phonograph, later known as the record player. The records played on the phonograph served as a dominant music recording and listening formats for almost all of the 20th century, until the dawn of the CD. In 1920, the League of Nations met for the first time in Geneva, Switzerland. The organization held 58 members at its greatest, and was replaced by the United Nations after World War II. In 1928, Steamboat Willie, the first cartoon film featuring synchronized sound, was released. The cartoon was written and produced by Walt Disney himself and gave birth to Mickey and Minnie Mouse. In 1945, the Nuremberg Trials began at the Palace of Justice in Nuremberg, Germany. The trials involved the prosecution of 24 ex-Nazi war criminals, half of whom were sentenced to death and two of whom were acquitted. In 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis came to a close. After the Soviet Union agreed to remove its missiles from Cuba, President John F. Kennedy agreed to end the quarantine of the nation. In 1964, the Verrazano Bridge was opened. The bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world at the time, but has since been surpassed. However, it remains the longest bridge in North America. In 1969, the first Wendy's restaurant opened in Columbus, Ohio. The fast food chain operates with over 6,600 locations in 23 countries. That's a lot of locations and quite a few countries, Nick. It certainly is, Dave. In 1973, President Richard Nixon delivered his famous quote, I am not a crook in reference to his involvement with the Watergate scandal. Hey, it's birthday time, y'all. This week in 1964, philosopher and writer Voltaire, famous for Candide, was born. In 1925, politician Robert F. Kennedy was born. Back in 1933, TV and radio host Larry King was born. 
Martin Scorsese, famous for directing Taxi Driver, The Departed, Goodfellas, and Shutter Island, was born this week in 1942. Joe Biden, the nation's current vice president and a lover of trains, was born this week in 1942 as well. Also in 1942, designer Calvin Klein was born. In 1944, actor Danny DeVito, known for his roles in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Batman Returns, was born. This week in 1962, Jodie Foster, famous for acting in Silence of the Lambs, Panic Room, and Flight Plan, was born. Singer Bjork was born this week in 1965. Actor Owen Wilson, known for Zoolander, Meet the Parents, Wedding Crashers, Cars, Marley and Me, and Midnight in Paris, was born in 1968. Maggie Gyllenhaal, known for her roles in The Dark Knight, Donnie Darko, and Crazy Heart, was born this week in 1977. Well, that's all the knowledge we've got for you this week. I'm Nick. And I'm Dave. Thanks for listening, and keep it historical, Raleigh. Well, that wraps up our show for this week's edition of Eye on the Triangle. I want to thank all of our contributors who help make this show possible tirelessly every week. If you have a question, comment, or story idea, please drop us an email at publicaffairs at wknz.org or give us a call at 515-2401. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I'm your host, Chris Chaffee. Good night.